Hello everyone and welcome back to Eco Insights. I'm your host for today, Georgia Scar. And I'm her co-host, Chloe Young. And today we're here with Kavi Chintham, a PhD chem- candidate in chemical engineering at Northwestern University. Can you start by telling us a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm a first generation person. Technically I'm an immigrant, but I don't count it because I came here when I was super young. Um, but my parents are from India, so I grew up in Florida. Actually, the first place we came to was Chicago, so this is kind of full circle being here. But I grew up in Florida, in northern Florida, kind of the border of Georgia, Florida, and uh, was really passionate about environmental issues and just community service from a very young age. It was kind of instilled into me by my parents and also my community. Um, so I kind of knew I wanted to go in that direction, wasn't sure how I wanted to, but in college I got my bachelor's in chemical engineering, um, which no one in my family had done that or knew what it was really. So it was kind of a leap of faith and it worked out well. But um, since then I, I worked at a national lab for a couple of years working on fuel cells. And now I'm a graduate student at Northwestern and throughout that whole journey, I've had a variety of different experiences at industry and national labs and uh, in academia right now and also in government offices. So a lot of different areas I've worked in. Yeah, it all sounds really interesting. And I mean, as you mentioned, so you're a PhD student at Northwestern studying chemical engineering, but you really emphasize the importance of science policy. I think that's something that really made you kind of stand out to George and I. And I mean, you've done a few different things, like you were a policy analyst, I believe, for ReAMPS Transportation Hub, and you worked with the National Science Policy Network. But can you just expand um, for our listeners on what science policy actually is? Sure. So I'll start by saying there are two types of science policy. So there's science for policy and policy for science. So policy for science is what kind of research is getting funded, for example. So is the National Science Foundation going to fund a particular project to research further like electric vehicle fundamentals or something like that? And then science for policy is taking things we learn from science and then implementing it into governmental policies um, at local, state, national, whatever level. Um, So it's really about taking scientific principles and findings and putting it where it really matters, which is real life. Um, Most of the things we use on a daily basis is because of science and technology. And so it's important that our policies reflect that as well. Thank you very much. And on on that note, why is it important for scientists and engineers to play a larger role in policymaking, particularly in the US? Yeah, that's a great question. You might notice nowadays science is kind of a debated topic when it really shouldn't be. And one reason for that, I think, is because there aren't enough scientists in politics. Um, Most of politics consists of government, people who've been in government their whole life and know about like public affairs, international affairs, et cetera. And they're the ones that are voting on really deeply technical things. And having scientists and engineers present in that process would mean that there are people who can represent both the scientific community and what facts are and what 
peer-reviewed evidences, for example, but also have the ability to communicate with policymakers and the public um, in a way that makes them understand. So I think it's important to kind of bridge the gap between science and policy and communities, um, especially because science, I think, can sometimes seem like a really elite thing and something that's not accessible, which it really shouldn't be seen as that because it totally is, but um, I understand why it might seem meant for other people to some people. So that's also a way to just make it more like a regular part of life conversations rather than something that's up there. Yeah, I definitely agree with kind of what you were saying there. And I think, you know, science, it was always seen as something that's for creating new knowledge, but really it can be used to respond to a lot of social, social issues as well. And I just think there's so many uses for science and it's not as kind of just, I think the way people once saw science was just really through one kind of lens, they saw, you know, biology, chemistry, physics, but not really the applications of that to kind of everyday life. And as you were saying, science is a part of everyday life. Um, and then specifically kind of looking at climate change, do you think that the um, controversy of climate change in politics would be reduced through the inclusion of more science-oriented discussions? Yes, for sure. Um, I think the main issue there is that we're facing a problem now where people won't even respond to factual evidence. Because um, if you look at the numbers related to temperature changes and sea levels rising and num like number of cold winter days, even in Chicago, we it's been a pretty mild winter for the most part, which it shouldn't be like this, um, even though it is kind of nice, but you know. Um, so I think that it's important for there to be science discussions in policymaking, but at this point, I think it's more important to just regain the trust in science, which I think is a really different thing because if we learn, if we teach people how to correctly interpret data and know what to trust and what not to trust, then the data doesn't lie. The data shows the whole picture. Um, and data, I'll clarify, doesn't just mean numbers and like trends and things. It also means experiences from people who are seeing the effects of climate change, for example, firsthand. Yeah, and on the topic of kind of even when science is in politics, it can still be difficult to effectively communicate it and all agree on how to approach the issue. So do you think science and politics can unify us or exacerbate existing echo chambers and how so? It should unify us um, because like I said, we use science and technology in every day, every part of our lives when you take the train or even ride a bike or heat up your dinner or whatever. Um, so it should be used as something to unify us, especially because like I said, it can be seen as such an elite thing, but when you break it down to like really simple tasks and like understanding how like a microwave works, I think that can be accessible to most people and that should unify people for like learning something, much like literature, for example, it can be a source of unification or music. It's, it's all about like how people are interpreting things. And yes, it's more of an emotional feeling, but Science also can make you feel things. I mean, it's amazing to see that like tiny electrons can make electricity happen, for example. And there's beautiful science art out there and everything like that. So 
I think it can be a source of unification. I think right now it is less that because of just the way that science has been seen as like an opinion to have, whether you believe in it or not. Um, but if done correctly and with the right kind of mindset, I think it should definitely be a source for unification. Yeah, I think you brought up a really interesting point there about that whole believing in science thing. And I think especially, you know, two of the biggest issues right now are the environmental crisis and COVID, both scientific issues, but still highly political and politicized and opinion based. And I think, you know, people have really just taken science to to a whole new sphere almost. Um, And then kind of on, on that line, you know, I was talking about how science really does intersect with a bunch of different issues. Um, one big one is equity. So do you think that science can increase equity in politics? Absolutely. And that's a lot of the work I do and want to do for my career is increasing the amount of or the kind of equity we see in specifically environmental issues. Um, and that means, you know, not building industrial factories in poor neighborhoods or neighborhoods with people of color, which is largely what happens now. Um, and I mean, that can be done through scientific improvements in renewable energy, for example, um, to reduce even the need for factories like that, um, which can also mean that there are more jobs for people who live in those communities and are affected by things like that. Um, and if you read more about CJA in Illinois, then you'll see that a lot of that is about creating equity on a number of different levels when it comes to clean energy. Um, and that's true for like all parts of science. I mean, healthcare, healthcare equity is something that's super important. People don't have the same access to basic healthcare. And um, that's a place where science can help with equity, especially that's something that science policy can particularly help with. Um, and that can also be related to climate change related things like air pollution, but um, yeah. So I do think that um, science is crucial for improving equity. Thank you for, for that response. And also, we've spoken a lot about science and politics, but also you've touched upon scientific communication with the public. So how can scientific communication with the public, particularly the understanding of the science behind the environmental crises, increase equity? Yeah, I think there's a lot of distrust in science from very, very different groups of people. There are people who have been misled by science or have seen the negative sides of it. For example, like I said, air pollution, um, less access to vaccines, or uh, there's been a very long and disturbing history of uh, medical racism, for example, which is also related to science. So science communication for that kind of community is very different from science communication to a community that is maybe just newly like questioning ingredients and vaccines and things like that. So I think creating equity means something different to these different groups, but I think that's kind of the crux of it is that scientists need to learn to communicate to different groups of people and you can't apply the same sorts of communication to one group as you can to another. Um, if you do that, then you're just alien, alienating everyone. 
Definitely. And I think issues with scientific communication have exacerbated a lot of environmental issues, like you mentioned air pollution, but also uh, water pollution in Flint, Michigan. There was many different issues with um, the way that the scientific data had been edited to mislead the public to believe certain things. Um, So certainly the communities that are affected can develop that mistrust in science. But I think that's something that people like you working in science policy and just young people in general can hopefully really change that narrative and increase the reliability of science and politics to really bring about equitable policies. Yeah, for sure. sure. That's a great way to sum that up. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's also been said that, you know, science policy can't be simply about science. So can you just expand a bit on what this means and why it's important? Science can be very technical. We have numbers, we have graphs that show trends. We have really big words for chemicals, Um, but this isn't accessible to everyone. And it's also not relevant to a lot of the problems we have every day. Um, It's really necessary for science to also be thinking from the very beginning of the process um, of the scientific method or whatever, to think about who is gonna be affected from the extraction of minerals, for example, to um, all the way to the application of a certain technology by considering people in the process and communities in the process, then you reduce the the possibility of creating more inequities uh, due to scientific or technological innovations. So that's kind of what it means is that the numbers itself, the numbers themselves won't guide science policy necessarily, necessarily in the best way. It needs to be coupled with experiences of people and things like survey data, for example. Yeah, most definitely. And kind of branching off of um, kind of public involvement in scientific policy. So how can we as members of the public and especially young people help policymakers make more science-oriented decisions? The best question. Um, For sure, I think y'all are probably too young now, but is to vote. That is like the number one thing I would tell anyone. Um, And even as young people, you can, I'm sure you already do because you're amazing, but start looking at what different candidates talk about um, when it comes to environmental and just science policy in general. Um, For those who are of voting age or are going to be of voting age soon, you can look into your candidates on a local level and a national level um, and see what stances they have and also see how detailed their plans are for reducing climate change, for example. If it's just a broad stroke of like, yes, climate change is bad, but there's no specific plan of action, that doesn't necessarily mean they're they're not gonna do anything, but it's a little better if you see more of a plan um, that's been thought out that can immediately be implemented or at least funding can be allocated when they um, start their term. Um, So yeah, I'd say that. And I would also say on top of that, that local elections are really important. I know there's always like a lot of talk about the presidential election every four years, but I really believe that local politics and just local work is where um, most of the change happens. Um, The other thing I would say is volunteer in your community. Um, Your community right next to you probably has different programs um, or organizations that are working on things related to the environment. Northwestern is in Evanston. Evanston has several environmental groups that are working to um, address environmental injustice and increase 
more green spaces, for example. And I know in the city in Chicago, there are a lot of urban farms, for example. So you can find different ways to volunteer and that doesn't have to mean you're super extroverted or like really like being outside or really like being inside. There's something for everyone. I really believe that. And I think it's it's a way to engage with your community and feel like you're doing something helpful and also just for you to have a good time. Yeah, I think you gave some really, really great tips. And I want to bring it back quickly to what you mentioned about, you know, researching your candidates and things like that. And I think what you said about how, like, if it's, you know, not super specific, that, that's not the greatest thing in the world, that can really be applied to so much. And, you know, looking for specific details, looking to see, well, what does this person want to do? Like, what have they outlined? I think that's such a key thing. And you can even apply to things like business and companies when you're trying to buy different products. I think it's just a really relevant statement. And yeah, I mean, there's so many opportunities now to get involved. I mean, even if you live in like a small town, there's, you know, online organizations that have to do with science and policy and the environment. And there's, there's really just endless opportunities now for any age. So those are all some really great tips you gave. But I mean, we're, we've come to the end of our podcast. So thank you so much for being with, here, being with us today. And thank you to all the listeners as well for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at EcoCircleINT. And if you have any questions or thoughts you'd like to share, feel free to message us using the contact button on our website. If you enjoyed our conversation today, make sure you check out Season 2, Episode 5, where we interview PhD student Frances Davenport about her interdisciplinary flooding research. Thank you again for being here with us today. Thanks for having me.